In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode three eleven. That's right. Has nothing to do with Green Lantern, but hey, that's fine because we need one of these every now and then. <laughs> we've we've just been so. I mean, the way these things have been going lately, based on recording schedule and some things being recorded out of out of order, it just it just seems like we haven't done a Green Lantern episode in forever for us, even though we actually did. The last one that was released was a Green Lantern episode. <laughs> <laughs> the la- most of them will have. I mean, even the Doctor, the Doctor DC one was a Green Lantern episode, so it just wasn't mm-hmm. a current issue episode. But yeah, this is this is a break for us. And te- technically, the Doctor DC was a uh, was two episodes in one week, so <laughs> we're overdue for one of these, anyways. Yeah, that is true. It was it was a, it was essentially either this or or we were going to have a skip week, and we and I, I think both of us prefer not to use too many of our skip weeks early because we don't know what the rest of the year will bring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's it's going to be a, a hodgepodge. So, Mark, why don't you tell them what to, what's up on the docket? Well, back when we were putting together our movie preview episode, uh, one of the things that never quite made its way into Chad's list, though, was on his high-to-see list. It was in your top – was it in your top five or your, your middle? I, th- I think it was in the middle. Okay, but one of the one of the movies Chad was wanted to talk about, but like right before we recorded, they, that was the the announcement that the release date was pushed back, and then of course immediately after that was the all the rumors about the purchase, you know, the rumored purchase, which turned out to be true, of this by Netflix, and that is the Cloverfield Paradox. That was something that we both were interested in seeing. So now we have both seen it. Uh, I've seen it a few times. Chad's seen it, I think, one full time. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about – so we're going to cl- talk about the Cloverfield Paradox. And, of course, we're going to talk about by, – by proxy, that's going to lead to conversation about both the original and 10 Cloverfield Lane and, you know, the, the how they – just the, the – the interesting take on a quote-unquote shared universe that you know Abrams and Reeves and everybody is trying to put together here. So that's going to be the bulk, and then we're going to talk about the uh, Han Solo trailer, and we're going to talk about Ch- Chad's Venom trailer, and that's probably going to be the it for content for this week. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so, the, so, uh, very brief plot synopsis because we just want to kind of get into it. Uh, the uh, Cloverfield Paradox movie is essentially, it, it all takes place in space. Um, well, scratch that. The, Part the, majority, of the, yeah, the, major- the yeah. majority of the... Yeah, majority of it takes place in space. There's an energy crisis. 
Um, they are running a particle accelerator in space for safety precautions so that they can solve this energy crisis. Well, on their like 48th attempt um, <laughs> to, <laughs> to run this uh, particle accelerator, it splits open space-time and launches them into another dimension, which they don't figure out until, you know, about halfway through the movie, which is earlier than I expected, uh, but uh, but just based on kind of where I thought things were going. Um, but uh, they're in another dimension um, where they encounter a member of their crew from the other dimension that was somehow launched into here. It's, it's a whole thing. Um, so there's a bunch of wonky, you know, trying to, uh, I don't know, uh, acclimate <laughs> to this dimension sci-fi bullshit that happens. Um, it, uh, they, they end up solving the, the, the particle accelerator issues while in this other dimension and send the solve down to this other earth who, which is already experiencing global war and, and stuff like that. Um, to help them, and then they get back to their universe and send the, uh, or, or, you know, the, the success, the te- test successful, and you know they send that information down. There's only two of them left, and when they get down there, uh, all hell has broken loose on their planet, but they don't know, know that, and uh, of course, a big crazy kaiju and shit down there. <laughs> Spoiler so. alert! No. <laughs> yeah. You just ruined it, Chad! <laughs> so, my question is, all of these take place at the same time? All of what take is place at the same time? All of these movies. No, they don't take place at the same time. They don't even take place necessarily on the same Earth. You think so? Because, I don't know. The way they all tie in together is sort of nebulous to me. There, there's, there is connective tissue which we're, we're going to talk about. See, for me, I, like you said, they, you know, they figured. See, part of the problem with the way they think, part of the setup for, for how they kind of figure out what's going on and kind of figure and kind of half-ass figure out how to, you know, roll on the dice, figuring out how we can quote unquote fix it, at least fix it as in getting back to her, getting back to her where you belong. The problem, to me, the problem is, and this is one of those interesting, no pun, int- no pun intended, it's a paradox, that the interesting thing about this movie, yes, being in space is always, you know, ha- space station movies where you're trapped, and that, those things are always somewhat intriguing. It's that claustrophobic kind of, you know, you have nowhere to go kind of, kind of, it, you know, it's, it's a play on horror movies and things like that. It, it's, so I, I've always, I like that setup. So that was kind of intriguing to me, but the real issue to me, and this was why they were really clever when they advertised this during the Super Bowl, was the idea that you were that this movie was going to tell you how all those you know because they they they, they prefaced it by saying you know going back to the original movie about the creature coming you know this you know you know this you know this creature you know this creature you know either came to Earth or was this, or we found us, blah blah blah. And now you know, like, find out why, you know. So, or how? I forget how they really pushed it. They pushed the how or the why. But either way, this movie. So to me, that was so that was the real interesting part of the movie was going to find find out how they were going to tie all three movies together. So to me, the only the thing that kind of was disappointing about this movie was the fact that 
pretty much within the first, like, 10 minutes or 15 minutes max of this movie, you already know what the, you know, the answer to that question. They tell you what the answer is even before things go to hell on the space station. So when things go go to hell on the space station, you already know what happened because it was already being theorized, you know, what the Cloverfield paradox is about because this was such a huge particle accelerator bigger than anything that's ever been built or attempted to be have been used before. It was so big, they, I mean, it was no coincidence that they were trying this in space. It was so big, it was they they deemed it too dangerous to even try operating this thing on Earth. That the danger that the theory was, and of course we'll talk about that, you know, the down the but Donald Logue's character, his the cameo, uh, his cameo in the movie and the potential relevance of it in the whole lore. But this guy you know, theorized that he wrote a book called The Cloverfield Paradox. And basically he his theory all along was this particle accelerator was so big and, and because it was so powerful that it could literally rip a hole through time and space. And not only by doing that could, you know, monsters and demons and all these things, sea creature, you know, Creatures from the deep, all these things end up intermingling from one universe, one timeline, one dimension from another, that it also would have, could affect. Now, it wouldn't just affect one timeline or one, one moment in time. It would, could affect everywhere and every time. So you could have things, ha- so which would tie into, if you believe, and it doesn't have to be the same Earth, but they're probably, it's probably easier to believe that it is the same Earth. That they tell you before anything goes awry in the space station that it would explain why you have these different things happen. While there was a Cloverfield monster like in the original, which was an, you know an hour time when Cloverfield paradox is set in in the future, not too far in the future, but set in the future and also, but seemingly this is why I think it might be a different Earth because their their energy situation is a lot more desperate. That's the whole reason for the particle accelerator rolling of the dice, this international team on, on this space station, because the Earth is about to run out of energy. And the hope is this particle accelerator, if successful, will create enough sustainable energy to solve all of our problems. Still not quite sure how that was going to work, but that was the, but that was the theory. So the, I, yeah, so, but, but, yeah, but, but, but it's been – I told you earlier today, I haven't seen the OG Cloverfield movie in forever, but I did see it a billion times. So – refresh my memory then what in the world were those kids at the party talking about because wasn't there some line it's like they were making some joke it's like it's it's the end of the world so isn't it weren't they also having some sort of an energy crisis or places were threatening war or something like that I don't think so I could be wrong I don't remember that I don't remember that in in the in the setup for Set up for the movie. I'll have to Google search it. But I see what do, I can find. But but supposedly, but basically, the part of the, the the space station is called Cloverfield in this movie. So the 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 problem that you know the the quote unquote disaster with this with ripping a hole through time and space allows you know everything to intermingle things from other other dimensions or different different universes to come into ours. And that supposedly allows you to have, and again, in different in, in different moments in time, because the clover, the, the the original explanation for the Cloverfield monster was not like it fell from space. It was supposed to be buried under the sea, and that satellite, that slusho, whatever satellite that crashed into the sea, that you saw in, like in the very last footage of of like Robin Beth's footage that was intermingled with the stuff HUD filmed, 
that that, sh- that satellite that you barely could see falling into the sea supposedly was the catalyst for waking up the monster that had been that had been as- asleep, you know, under the, you know on the bottom of the ocean, and that brought it to life. But this movie is kind of spec. This mo- movie opens the door to believe that since the mo- the monster you see at the end of Cloverfield Paradox is absolutely the same kind of monster that you saw in the original Cloverfield, is just a hell of a lot bigger. That the first one was kind of supposed to be a baby, and this thing just woke up. But this opens the door for because of that whole Cloverfield paradox, that you know these things get sent through different points in time. So, I, so while you're seeing the direct result in the timeline that this movie takes place in, that doesn't mean that there weren't repercussions in, in different timelines, like in the past and in the future. So this, so the Cloverfield monster could have been sent way the hell back into the past and was just dormant all this time until that satellite. To that satellite woke it up, just like in Cloverfield Lane, the rip in time, the the rip in the dimension could have opened the gateway for the for the alien invasion that was taking place in that movie. So it is possible that all these movies take place on the same Earth, but I don't But it's not 100% set in stone that it has to take place because we know that the whole premise is that it can affect. There could be different Earths, different timelines, different you know things intermingling across. So. This just gives you an explanation for why all these weird things could be happening across the board and why one doesn't seem to affect the other. Why Clo- Cloverfield Lane doesn't seem to be have been affected, even though it was not, relatively it was an isolated incident, the, or the monster in New York, even though along with those stupid parasite things on it, that even though that was an isolated incident, there's, there's nothing that would indicate that it had any ramifications going forward. And the invasion, and obviously the invasion of aliens in Cloverfield Lane didn't seem to have any any ramification that at least acknowledged ramification in the in the time frame like 2028 or whatever the hell it's supposed to be in Cloverfield Paradox. So they all could be on the same earth, they could not be on the same earth, but they give you an explanation for why no matter how you want to interpret it, they give you an explanation for why this stuff happened and where these things came from or why it's possible. So that which is the connective tissue. This is the longest like Combined universe uh, film project ever we've ever seen, <laughs> and it's not done yet either. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'm scrolling through the script right now, and I, I'm just I'm not seeing anything, and I don't want to waste too much time doing this. But I could have sworn there was something because I know he was leaving and going to Japan. It was his going away thing or something. But I could have sworn someone said something about the state of the world or something. I don't remember. <clears throat> but um, but that you know it, it's possible there could have been a it could have been a line in there but I don't think but there was nothing in the movie that indicated there were you know, like like in this movie where you know there's 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 tons of stuff in this movie about related to the global tensions that are building and and you know basically like a, and, and energy the energy wars are have not 100 percent begun yet but they're they're on they're on the verge of that because Russia was threatening gra- you know, ground invasion. And the different into different places and things. So there, but so there could have been. And don't forget, you know, this is you know, the, this is this twenty something. There was not being insulting. This is just the way it is because we were all we're, we we're either all there or have been there. That when you're like twenty something, how you know every 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 generation kind of seem you know whether it's true or not thinks that you know theirs is like in the the, the theirs is either going to be the one that's they're they're going to be the ones to solve the problem, but also that they've inherited such a mess that the world is in such a horrible place, and things like that. So it could have just been that kind of like angst, 
and everything else. But I think most of it was just Rob going to Japan, the relationship between Rob and Beth, and then everything goes to hell. You know, once the uh, you know once the mo- once the monster arrives. Yeah. All right. Um, so we kind of put the cart before the horse, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <it kind> of, <laughs> oh well. About about which, uh, part, about which part? Uh, how the connective tissue. We were going to talk about the movie first, and then the connective tissue. Um, but uh, let's see the movie itself. You know, you know, because this is more of your side of things. Let's talk about like before we get into it. Let's talk about sort of its its reception because. I saw a lot of negativity concerning it online. I think that's – this is, again, I think it's I've, – I've seen a lot of published, like, of course, what, our, our old friend – you know, our, our new quote-unquote friend, uh, MovieWeb, which seems to want to take the Newsarama uh, <laughs> role at, on our show. That MovieWeb – to to, to, honestly, they do seem to want to stir up a lot of problems. They like they kind of seem to get off on publishing articles and and doing stuff. Whether it was about Last Jedi or this, they did. They published a lot of stuff, making it sound like you know the movie was not getting its was not getting a huge uh, positive reaction. And obviously the critics didn't like it all that much, which you know which doesn't necessarily mean all that much based on the genre. I've seen a, a, I've seen a bunch of mixed reviews from from people. Almost I mean, almost nobody said they loved it. But I haven't seen a lot of people said that they, you know, that they hated it either. It's, I guess it makes sense based on. I think the movie. I think the movie was, it was good. It could have been better. It probably could have been a little bit longer, and they could have had more stuff on the ship and had more, maybe a little more character development. Because other than uh, Gugu Mbatha Raw, you really don't get much character development of any of the characters on the. I mean, it's all, they're almost. I don't want to say they're all like stereotypes, but the, but they're all but they're caricatures to a certain extent, as in they're, they're not overly fleshed out. You know, you you have you know Chris O'Dowd is like the, the comic relief guy, and then you have you know you you got the you know the, you got the, the 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 American the the American the captain who's in charge who's kind of like straight laced who you know pretty much seems to have no sense you know no sense of humor at all, and it's all by the book. You got the you got the you got the Russian having this you know the Russian kind of trying to stir up trouble and you got the German is the Ger- you know it's a is a German a secret agent or work you know is he the double agent all the so I, and then when Jensen when Jensen shows up like after the whole horrific caught in the wall thing which was cool uh, which was cool that was one of the cooler parts of the movie when you, uh, when you when you see it the first time just when you hear the when you hear her crying out and then when you actually find out what the hell's going on yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, like after she's you know fixed up and and you know cog you know conscious and speaking, the look on her face the entire time telegraphs something's about to go awful with this person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, there's no subtlety there at all. She looked she looked horrified and detached, and you were just like, oh, this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> no, it, it was it it definitely was not it was not set up. Well, if you if they really wanted you to think that she could be anything other than what she was, now I think I think for me personally, it also didn't help. It didn't help that pos that possibility or uh, erase the possibility, um, because you know because she was Aisha from Guardians of the Galaxy too. So you're automatically going in thinking, oh, she's going to kind of be this, you know, kind of like this bitch bitch with an attitude. 
<laughs> so, I mean, it is kind of typecasting. She might want to watch her roles because if everybody, if you always play a villain, then yeah, it's like you play the villain nine times just to do that one movie where everybody thinks you're going to be the villain. Well, ha I'm the good guy. <laughs> but no, I, I, yeah, I thought from the get go as soon as she comes out, as soon as she, they, they, they got her out and everything, I was like, yeah, I, I, I didn't trust her. She, and I think some, I read some. And I think I paid attention to this. I think I caught it a few times when I one of the times I rewatched it. Something about you see a, a lot of times when they, when they see when you see her face in the movie, you see like a reflection. You see like, like a reflecting. You see her reflection reflecting off like a glass or plexiglass or something. And that usually is a. I think it cinematically that usually is a is a is a is a sign. I think of duplicity and things like that. Uh, so yeah, I don't think. There are there are a bunch. I mean, there are th- the premise. There could have been it could have been better. I mean, there were in, in here there was a lot. There, there could have been a lot more of an int- of an interesting story. I there think was a, there was a lot of sci-fi, not sci-fi. This is a space movie with monsters and shit in alternate dimensions. But there was a lot of supernatural shit in here, which threw me completely. Like you can take a look at each of these weird, you know. Random emergencies that keep this. This movie kind of <laughs> reminded me of a uh, turned up to eleven, throw in sci-fi and supernatural Apollo thirteen. <laughs> you, you know, they get into space and then this goes wrong and then this goes wrong and then this goes wrong and then this goes wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, you can almost count the beats of like, okay, it's been about. Uh, let's see here. About eleven minutes. It's, we're due for another emergency. <laughs> so like, you can see this. But some of those, you're like, okay, we can explain this away by sort of dimension meshing, or we can just explain it away by the particle accelerator or gravity or whatever. And then shit like getting sucked into metal and your arm cut off, and then your arm developing sentience, and like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Somehow and, hearing and, and, things and the, in the your gy- head and having having worms in a gyroscope inside of you yeah, makes I was just you crazy. Say that. Like, and the gyro somehow being inside somebody and that not killing you instantaneously. Like that shit is just like there's a like I'm thinking and I'm going okay I I get it particle accelerators and crossing let's face it this is a multiverse sort of situation crossing into the multiverse there's nothing that we've it, it's still it's 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 still like realistically unproven but it's it's a very solid theory that we have physics wise but what we do know about it nothing suggests that shit is about to go paranormal on you if you cross into another reality so i don't know so unless this other dimension that they crossed into literally has different physics altogether in which case why you know jensen should also uh, instead of being crazy or whatever, she should also be not surprised that these things are happening and just tell them, oh, you don't have this in your reality? It makes no sense for some of this shit to happen. <laughs> I think that I think the premise of why it ha- of why we're, spo- we're again for the suspension of disbelief, why we're supposed to accept that this is this happens, is it's kind of like a matter antimatter matter thing where the reality is is you you're having you're having uh, matter that doesn't really belong it being crossed over to a different place and I, so that's why that arguably is why you know when Jensen got somehow Jensen got sucked onto their ship which is why she's kind of like friggin has 
know, wires and metal and electrical thing and wires and everything related to you know to that part of the ship literally running through her body. Uh, it's it's kind of like what it, almost what pretty much what happens to Chris O'Dowd at the end uh, for his character too, something similar because it seemed like the same thing was kind of happening to him. So you but but. But, but did they get sucked? Did she get sucked onto their ship, or did they get sucked onto their ship? No, I would think they were they were still on they were still on their own ship, I believe. Well, I mean, first of all, she was able to pull up information, and then they 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 found those communications from the alternate German dude. Right, but, but that's because, I, but, I, but I think but I think that's I think that's some of the stuff that crossed over once they came over into this dimension. Okay, because I was about to bring up the photo. There's a group photo of yeah, them Jensen's that you see it. earlier over, and then earlier in the movie of of the main cast that you have, and then later on you see the same photo and Jensen's in it. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's some of that is the is like the cross pollinization once they get pulled in, once they get pulled into the into the alternate universe because clearly we know that. Our, our Cloverfield, our crew, is brought over to where they don't belong. We that that part is established, so there's no reason to think. There's and don't forget the the, the it's been a, it's established in Jensen's universe that they haven't gotten the particle accelerator to work. That's remember because the whole point of what they're trying to leave the information and send it down to Earth first they were going to give it to Jensen and then they end up just sending it down to Earth in that uh, Gugu, uh, Hamilton Gugu Mbatha Ross character. Besides trying to warn her own self to not kill, basically kill her own kids by accident, is the fact that she's she's get, she's sending down, you know, basically the specs on the accelerator to this to so they can make get it to work. So yeah. So the only one that actually worked was the one in ours. So that's so it's just again it's just that that all everything kind of being pushed together where it doesn't belong, and then almost like. Almost like the universe trying to push back, maybe, and try to again, kind of do a mer- kind of do a merger. Almost like almost like the fly kind of thing when you have the genes can when you have the genes spliced together on the cellular level, and then you know eventually all these things it tries to make sense of what have hap- what happened, and then this new thing starts, this new reality starts starts to form. Um, have you uh, have you ever heard of a movie? Uh, I think it was a relatively indie movie, um, but have you ever seen a movie called Another Earth? Oh, I think yeah, I think I yes, I I I don't know if I ever finished it, but I think I started watching it. Isn't that the one with the girl? Like she's a maid or something, or she's she's a uh, she was like a convict or something, and she's doing housework for somebody, and it's somehow related to. She she is doing housework for somebody, but she got in a drunk driving accident yes, and killed yes, this guy's yes, family. Yep, 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 yeah, yeah, I did I did watch it at one point. Yeah, so if any of you have not seen Another Earth, the reason I say it's an indie film is it was a, a winner at Sundance in 2011. Um, but essentially what the plot is, is this teenage, I would I want to say teenage, but maybe early, early 20s girl gets in a drunk driving accident, does does her time, or it's really not a lengthy time. It, it might have been just like a juvie thing. I, I'm not sure. Because she doesn't look like she's super old when she comes out or whatever. Um, she ends up taking this maid job for the guy whose family she killed. Which you think is going to be... A, but the reason it's called Another Earth is because in the backdrop of this, in our night sky, somehow, you know, the way we see the moon in a, at a distance from us, Another Earth appears in our night sky. 
and it just gets closer and closer. And then, then it stops. I mean, it's not going to collide, but then it stops. And then the same way, like, when you're on another planet in, like, another universe or whatever, or, or, or across the universe in, like, sci-fi movies, and you can see the massive planet on in the in the distance or whatever of of uh, of, of your atmosphere, the same thing. It's like you look up and there's this other Earth, but on this other Earth is another you. And on they they somehow figure out that on this other Earth, his family never died. And there's a kind of lottery slash contest thing to send people to the other earth. And I think she wins, but gives the spot to him so he can go visit his family. Uh, you never go to the other earth in this movie. You never see it. There's not a lot of heavy CGI other than placing this other earth in the sky. That's why it's a more indie film. But this reminded me of like another earth in some aspects because they see this other Earth. Her family is still alive. You know that sort of a thing. No, there's there are there's another movie that I can't remember what it's what it's called now. I watched on Amazon Prime a long time ago. It was it was about again there was there, there was some astrological event taking place, and basically what it's kind of like oh again we, we dealt with it created like almost like a bridge between the same kind of thing. It was like a like another dimension or another earth and some of these people ended up intermingling and coming back to the you know people that people can't you know people went out and they came back cuz people were doing the same exact thing but they ended up but these but the people coming back to this house was not you know were not the same people that left they were from the other group I don't remember what the name of it was but it but to me the movie this the, the movie this reminded me of the most was uh I mean it reminded me I think a little of sunshine right that was that the one sunshine uh, I think so. This one also reminded me of. Um, I always get this. No, I always get this confused. It's not Close Encounters. Contact. This one, I mean, it's it very, uh, very vaguely, but there were sort of elements of it. I was like, this is kind of like Contact. <laughs> yeah, and you and you could almost make a case it was uh, the one with which the is one of my guilty pleasure movies. I, by the way, I, I I don't think it's like the greatest movie, but for some reason, every now and then, like. I haven't seen Contact in a while. I gotta watch that again. <laughs> and the one that came out like two like two years ago with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. Uh, Arrival. Yeah, it's it, yeah. The only only because of without going, you know, not, we're not gonna bother spoiling that movie. Only because of Amy Adams' abilities that it reminds you of that from a. Oh, that that is something ripped out of straight out of like Slaughterhouse Five. And it was in the book, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying yeah. yeah, I'm sure, but I'm yeah. But to me, to me, the to me, the movie uh, paradox reminded me of the most of what it kind of was trying to be, in a way, was Event Horizon, which I never you, seen. You never saw it. You should watch Event Horizon. Um, that's another thing if you had Prime because that's that's free right now. Uh, it's been free for a while actually. Yeah, Event Horizon is very is without without going into, I won't go into a lot of spoilers for you because you haven't seen it. In case you do. But basically, um, the Sam Sam Neil is had designed the spaceship, and they figured out a way to go quote unquote faster than light, which you really can't do. But it basically created the wormhole, so you could basically circumvent that. You go from point A to point B at the same moment in time, 
You Transliminal space. Yeah, I might. <laughs> so you you open up you you open up because the gateway drive is what they call it. So that you basically you, create, you open a gateway from point A to B, you go through it, and you arrive at point B at the same time you let point A, and then the gateway closes. Boom. So what happens? Yeah, it's a tesseract. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So during the first test of this ship. You know, it went out to, towards the end of the solar system to test it. Again, oh, you always know there's a potential problem when they make sure they send something way the hell away from Earth before they test it. <laughs> well, the first time they tested it, boom, it disappeared. And I think it and, and they came up with a cover story how it, it you know it blew up when they first you know when they first tried to to, to use it because no one because I guess the public never really knew exactly what that ship was designed to do. And then like something like. Like I figure, like eight or nine years later, miraculously enough, the ship just comes back, like around the the orbit of either Uranus or Neptune. So they send a so the, there's a basically a rescue miss, mission that Sam O'Neill gets attached to, and they have to go figure they go have to go they find the ship and they have to find out what happened to the crew and basically what happened to the ship and where it had been and what you know where it came back from. So it's really in, it's a really interesting movie, kind of, and in that vein. It's a completely different con. The, the way the movie plays out, it's entirely different. But it just reminded me of something else too: the idea of, of having one of the creators go out, which is all, which is pretty, pr- pretty common too. Having a, somebody who was involved in the creation of something and then ending up having to go back and do almost a risk rescue or sal- a sal- um, salvation kind of job. Uh, but 2010, the year we made contact, was very similar. The sequel to 2001, where Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider, basically between Roy Scheider and, and Bob Balaban, they were the ones who helped create, you know, the uh, the ship and and Hal and sent them out into space. And then when everything goes wrong, you know, they they are the ones who are part of the team that ends up going to go back and find the discovery to find out exactly what went wrong and everything else. So it reminds so that so Event Horizon reminds me a little a little of that movie. But I but I think there was also that shitty movie, The Core. Yeah, if you want to, yeah, if you want to uh, replace, you know, being in outer space to inner space or inner Earth, if you will, there is so yeah, there's that same claustrophobic aspect of that. You know, you're you're completely isolated, so if something goes wrong, and the same concept that the world is counting on you to do this, because if not, everything's going to be destroyed. So that, right. So there is, yeah, that, that's a good call. There is an element of that too, because you, you besides the Earth about to run out of energy, yes, everybody. It's kind of like here's our Green Lantern reference. It's kind of like in Relics Universe with the with the you know with the dying of the light there. Now mm-hmm. once 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 it became clear that the light was dying and the universe was dying because the light was dying, that all that made it just made everybody fight for, fight even harder for the remaining light that was there to possess at least the last little bit that was there for as long as you could. And that's what was hinted at was going to happen on on, on our Earth with the energy with it fading out that there wasn't much left. And with the, the the idea of war, the the, the war is about to, you know, the drum beats are there to fight for with the remaining oil and the remaining energy. So, um, so yeah, I I mean the the movie, I I'm I'm disappointed. I, I didn't think the cast was bad. I thought the cast overall was pretty good. Right. I think. This obviously isn't going to be the movie that puts my girl Gugu Mbatha-Ra over the top and makes her a star, which is unfortunate. But, but I thought it was pretty damn good for a Netflix movie. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't made to be a Netflix movie. But, but, 
but but much like but much like like Cloverfield Lane and things like that. Basically, the, I guess the concept of how these movies come about, other than the original, of course, is that they basically get a script. You know, uh, Abrams and Reeves and everybody and Goddard and everybody who basically shapes this shared universe. They 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 they, they get these scripts that they kind of like almost as an as a standalone movie. And then, if they really like it and they think it works, then they just kind of rewrite it and, re- and retweak it so they can make it part of the Cloverfield universe, which is exactly what they did with Cloverfield Lane and what they did with this movie probably back in the day under its original name, The God Particle, even before it became heavily rumored that it was going to be you know, part of the Cloverfield universe. So this, mo- so this movie, uh, the, stuff, <clears throat> the stuff that ties this movie in directly to Cloverfield besides the Donald Logue cameo in in the beginning and naming the sh- and probably renaming the ship Cloverfield is the fact that a lot of the stuff shot on earth with what Michael I think is her husband that a mm-hmm. lot of that a lot of th- that footage was supposedly added in after the fact that a lot of those scenes extra scenes were added in to try to give the context because they were and to give so I guess they pro- I think the original movie probably was just supposed to take place pretty much exclusively in space and then they had to and then they kind of retroactively kind of gave a subplot for uh, Hamilton's husband and I did like the fact that they you know that they did kind of it was I'm sure if now that you know that it's there you go back and you watch it you can kind of you can kind of connect the dots but to me when I first was watching the movie I did I didn't necessarily see it being telegraphed that we were going to find out that their kids were you know were killed that they had already died or especially that you know she was responsible for it not on purpose. Clearly, it was an accident. It was a fire. A fire, uh, but I. So I thought that was handled well. I thought the crew. I thought again. I thought the crew was pretty well cast. I thought they they did. They all did their roles pretty well for the most part. Something about Daniel Brühl. That something about his accent bugs me. I don't know why. Which one was he? I'm not familiar with the actor names. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Schmidt or whatever. Okay. Otherwise, the one I like the Z- is Baron Zemo, if you prefer. Okay, the one I liked the most was the guy that lost his arm. Yeah, uh, Chris O'Dowd. Chris yeah, o- yeah. Chris O'Dowd is good. Chris O'Dowd is good at anything. I mean, he just no matter wh- whether it's you know that little cameo we had in Thor: Dark World or or just or Bridesmaids or whatever. He he's good. He's pretty much good at anything, Chris O'Dowd. But he yeah he 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 brought he brought a lot of character. To, to his character, no pun intended. He brought a lot of life, a lot of life to his character. Um, yeah, but part of the one of the criticisms was the fact that you know sometimes it's like they, they don't necessarily have an even tone to this movie. You don't know if you're supposed to be petrified or horrified or you're supposed to laugh. You know, there was, because a lot of the stuff with the arm turned into a joke. You know, a lot of the stuff with the you know not just the not that the arm was just moving, which was creepy. You know, that part was creepy, but just the fact that all the you know the arm kind of gave them you know the Kind of set them back on their path to writing writing the wrongs. It's like uh, my arm helped us find helped us find the earth, <laughs> refine the earth. It's like so. I mean, it, I liked it. I liked that part. It was, uh, and they should certainly got their use out of their 3D printer in this in this movie. <laughs> yeah, food, <laughs> from ba- food from and weapons. Guns. <laughs> <laughs> food and weapons. What more does Americans need? That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yes. Um, even though it's kind of funny, but I, since uh, uh, Gugum she was English making that bagel. No. <laughs> I, I, that was it. Was kind of refreshing that she got to actually do. She'd done movies like this before, but it was good to see that she was able to 
usually most of the movies I, you see her in, she has to do an American accent, and she has a British accent. So it was kind of good that I guess that she got to actually use her own accent and not have to do another. <laughs> that was the benefit benefit of having um, having the whole international space station crew kind of concept. Um, I'm trying to think of things just related to this movie. That uh, let's talk about the yeah let's talk about the the Donald Logue character, um, who basically, you know, Mark, Mark Stambler, uh, is the character's name in Paradox, who's the one who's basically telling you exactly, not, more or less tells you everything you need to know about what's going to happen, and what, even before it goes wrong, pretty much, again, tells you, right there is how it all, gives you an explanation for how all these movies are connected, and why it's possible, just like the next movie's, uh, supposed to be in World War II. You know the tie-in is supposed to take place in World War Two. So how they do that, and what, and what is the thing they're dealing with in World War Two? But it's still, you know, but that, but the stamp. The interesting thing about you know the Mark Stambler character is, of course, his last name is the same character as John Goodman's character in Ten Cloverfield Lane, who was another, who was another quote-unquote crazy conspiracy theorist who happened to be right probably at least nine times out of ten in everything that he said. So some people have speculated that they're supposed to be brothers, but there's no real proof that they're brothers in the movies. It's just probably not a coincidence that they have the same name. So, um, so maybe in one of the multiple in the multiverses, at the very least, they are you know they are kind of bro- they are absolutely brothers, and they probably are related no matter what, since you know same name, same same kind of way of thinking. And I guess there's even a throwback to Cloverfield Lane when uh, Michael takes the little girl that he rescues and they go into that bunker. Obviously, it's the, the, the bomb shelter. You know, it's mm. obviously not the same shelter because it looks it looks very different inside. I mean, there's similarities, but I was I was kind of looking when I first watched it. I was trying to see if they were going to go for some blatant tie-ins to uh, to make you think that it was the same shelter or could have been. Well, the 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 bunker sort of came out of left field for me because what I was curious about. So I, you know, I'm watching this at my chair in my in my room, you know, and the the TV is maybe about five six feet from me, and I got a 42 inch LED, but in your robe, of course. Yeah, I I couldn't see uh, or or not see. I couldn't read what was appearing on his phone. So did they telegraph that that, that was coming or something, or I, if it did somebody say, hey, I've got a bunker somewhere? If it wasn't, or? see. If, if, if he didn't do that verbally, then yes, it would have been via text. I know he did ask. I think he did ask or he was thanking somebody for being able to use his shelter. But I don't remember if that was on the screen or whether that was verbal. I would have to go back and watch that part again. I don't think it was. I don't think it was verbally because I don't I don't remember hearing that. But yes, but there but there is. I mean, I, I, I agree with you that for the, that it is out of left field no matter what. But but there is an acknowledgement of. There is an acknowledgement of that, of, of at least of think of him either asking if I can use your shelter or him thanking of whoever you know his friend or whatever after the fact. Th- thank you for letting me you know, use your shelter. Uh, so there's you know, there's there's that little connective tissue there between um, again between Clover, Cloverfield Lane and and uh, Paradox. Obviously the Obviously, they're going strong for the connective tissue between the first movie and Paradox. Oh yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, 
you can because Cloverfield himself is in there. Yeah, the mon- the monster absolutely is. You know, again, it's the it's an, a, you know a full size adult seemingly versus a, versus a child versus a a baby, but it's the same. But it is the same, you know, breed. It is the same species. So and they do give you an explanation for why that you know how that creature whether you know even if it just woke up at that moment in time on our planet how it could be there why it's there uh, whether so that's quite it's kind of interesting because you can open for interpretation since when that's the Stambler character is talking about demons and monsters and creatures from the deep you know that technically speaking you. Kind of guess it leaves it to interpretation. What, how, if you had to categorize Cloverfield mon- the monster as just one of the three, which would you do? Is it is it a demon? We don't wouldn't think that. Is it? It's clearly a monster, but yet we know the we know the original anyway. You know, was asleep. You know, was dormant in the water, so it technically would qualify as a creature up. You know, creature from the you know from, from the depths. So yeah, a Leviathan of some yeah, kind. Yeah. So and and they, and remember back in the original in the the original uh, but was it T.J. Miller? Right, it's T.J. Miller, right? I think the guy, I think that's his name, the annoying guy. The guy was in, uh, what you call it, uh, Deadpool. Um, his character HUD, that he even talks about, you know, it could have come from like some crevasse. Like he's such a stupid character, but he has that like one moment of actual brilliance when he talks about, you know, because they're always discovering things, you know. You know, could have been a you know a deep a deep sea crevasse that opened up and something came out of it, which probably is exactly what you know kind of what happened. Or it was in the, it was in a in a crevasse and then boom boom boom. This is this is all just a prequel to Pacific Rim. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so I I don't know I don't know which one which so which of the three do you like did you like the best of the, of them. I know you've, only, you've you are at a disadvantage because obviously this this one is the one you've seen the least, the most recent, but most but you've seen the least. Ten Cloverfield Lane is my least favorite. I know that for sure. the The only reason I'm hesitant to place the OG Cloverfield movie at the top is because I don't like shaky cam footage. And it was very shaky cam. I remember when Chuck. Yeah. I remember when Chuck. I mean, Chuck, rest in peace. Uh, when we went to go see that, I. He was never a fan of shaky cam stuff, but that was there was one part in that movie when he actually he actually had to you know get up from the seat and kind of walk out almost towards the towards the. Uh, the I end. did too. Yeah, because uh, the person I went to go see it with uh, was late, uh, so we got there late, which means we had to sit in one of those front two rows where oh. you're basically breaking your neck looking up at the screen. So I mean that combined with shaky cam footage, man, I was out of it for about half the movie, um, but. Um, I'll have to put the OG Cloverfield movie at the top only because if you get over the shaky cam footage, it's just a really good, like, kaiju sort of, you know, Godzilla attacks the city sort of movie. Um, so, and, and I'd say, I'd say, except from the perspective of the people, but so many of the OG Godzilla movies are from the perspective of the people. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, for multiple reasons, but yeah, that's yeah. true. I, um,. Yeah, from a from a cat from a. Well, I was gonna say from a casting perspective, I mean all three movies have had good casts. I think overall, I was gonna say this movie might have the better one, but then I go back to the. I mean I love Jessica Lucas, so I really liked her character in the. And she, ironically, she is the only she is the only one of the characters in that in that in the original Cloverfield that we at least 
have every reason to believe survived. Everybody else supposedly died. Uh, I know somebody made a case that Rob could be alive because you technically didn't see him die, but we know uh, we know HUD gets eaten, which is kind of funny, uh, and we know Lizzie Kaplan's character, uh, Morena or whatever, Marlena, Marlene, whatever her name was, Marlena, she, Marlena, I think she gets she explodes. So, so because Jessica Lucas is in it, I kind of I I like that. It's a selfish reason, I know, but still. But, I, but most of the characters were likable with the exception of HUD, which was one of the most annoying characters in film history. I mean, my God, he was annoying from the get-go. In this movie, in, Clo, in uh, Cloverfield Lane also had a good cast. It was a very small cast, but you know, it's hard to go wrong with John Goodman and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So it was a lot more of an intimate kind of movie based on... that. The, See, the premise of that movie, a lot of times the premise is, like, the premise of this movie, of Cloverfield Lane, was really good. I just don't think the payoff was good. I mean, I guess it was kind of cool to, to, to prove that, you know, that the Howard character wasn't a complete nut, that he was right, there was stuff going on, he was right to think that there was, you know, poison and stuff in the air, even if it wasn't, like, a constant poison. It was just something the aliens used when they needed to. So I guess that was kind of cool, but because you know it's Ten Cloverfield Lane and you're expecting it to be related to the first movie, and you just have these weird aliens that seemingly have nothing, don't, you know. It works kind of. I think the first three quarters of that movie work really well. The tension is good in that movie. The build-up to what's ever going to happen, I think, works well in that movie. I think the original, to me, I think the first three quarters of the movie I liked. I didn't think I again. I didn't think the last quarter was that good. Um, for whatever reason, I don't. I can't really. I can't really tell you why necessarily, but I. I just didn't. And this movie, I think that's one thing they all have in common. Even though I didn't really, I didn't dislike the ending of Paradox. It was, and I and they did, and it, it was a nice. It was set up nicely for the for the goals that they had to achieve, and and they raised the stakes. But the fact that you knew that they only had. They pretty much only had like what two two more two more shots at this. They only had enough fuel to do this twice more, so they had to use that one time to get back, and then they had to do and then they had to hope it worked one more time to to keep the particle accelerator and get the beam get the beam stable, and then they would have their then they would have their yeah. Weapon. But see, that's it. That's just it, though. They fired it three times. Well, yeah, the first Be- time because because she says when she's having her conversation with Michael before they go. Into the alternate universe, we have two more shots at this. So they fire it, then they get transported to the. Un- said, I'm sorry, I thought she said. I think she says three. I'll have to go back and I, watch it. I think. I'm pretty sure it's two because she says we got two more. We only have fuel for two more, and then they get shot back to the other universe after the first one, and then they do it again to get back to the, their universe, and then they do it again to test the uh, the the new you know. Whatever Tam came up with stuff with the condensation. Um. Well, they, they only after they well after they got sucked into the wrong dimension, they only fired it twice. Really fired it twice. They fired it the one time to get back and fired it. So if they did say there's only, so no, she said she said we only have fuel for this twice, and then they did the test which sucks them into the other universe. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to see like in the uh, I'm trying to see if somebody else picked up on that. 
I because I I was thinking the same thing, but I thought I went back and I watched when I one of the second times I or third time I watched it that she does say that there's there's an, there's enough fuel that there's enough fuel left for the number of times that they actually end up fully firing it, which is the, which is now I'll have to go back and check. You could you could be right. I'm, I'm like, on I'm on I'm on Netflix now. I'll just mute it and fast forward to the part I'm looking at. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure she says. She says twice. Is this muted? Yeah, it's muted. Um, yeah, so I'll just fast forward to it and let you know But uh, while we talk. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure she says twice. Yeah. So, so well, if, when you find that out, then we'll know. But, again, to, I thought, and, again, I could be wrong, because I, I thought when I went back and watched it the second time, that's one That's one of the things I thought they, that, that might have been a mistake. And then when I watched it, I thought when she was talking to Michael that she said that they had enough to do it three more times, and but that which which would be accurate if that's what she said it would be accurate. They fired it the, the first time that worked that sent them into the wrong dimension, and they fired it again to send them back, and then they fired it the final time to give them the stable beam, and that's when they, when they leave the ship. Uh, okay, hold on. Yeah, I found it. Hold on. Let's see here. Where is this? Uh... Just Let's see. Well, if you need to play it, just mute. You, just mute. It. Probably if you. Just well, no, I'll just, I'll just unmute. So we'll just hear it here. We shall only waste all that oil reserves. Anyway, no more life is hanging by a thread. You? We're all on edge, and we only have enough fuel for three more fires. Okay. Yeah. There you go. I could have sworn it was two. All right, cool. But like I said, when I first watched it, I I wasn't one hundred percent sure that she said three either. So that's why I went back. That's why I was fairly confident she said three because I was paying attention to that scene when they did it when I saw it a second time. So yeah, so that so they do. I mean, it's tell it's telegraphing what what happens, but not one hundred percent because they could have depending on how the movie went under different circumstances, they could have had two failures. And then they had, to, and then they literally were down to the wire, and they had one last shot. But because of what they were doing, and what what the what the point of the movie really was, and what the story they wanted to tell, they needed those extra attempts because you had you had to you had to use one of them to get back to your own dimension. I wonder how much of this is wasted effort, because like, so you know they they spend all this time trying to find a solution for these this energy crisis and and blah blah blah, and they get back to their universe and they figure it out and. You know, woohoo, that's all done. And then they, but they're returning to a planet infested with monsters. <laughs> like, <laughs> the priority is now not the energy crisis, right? <laughs> well, even though people seem to be pretty happy when they, when when they announce they got, you know, they got the stable, you know, they have a stable beam, you know, it seems like people are happy, you know, at, at, at the command center, people are, seem to be pretty happy. But we also don't know, to be fair, we also don't know how many monsters there are. We, yeah. I mean, there's re- every reason to believe there's more than one because of the fact that when her, the way her husband's talking about, you know, do, they, do they know what's going is going on down here? So, but we don't know if there's literally hundreds of these things. I mean, there may only be like, which is still enough considering how big they are. I mean, when the friggin' heads can stick through the top of the clouds, I mean, that these things that- are... Do, do you watch anime at all? Like, have, have, or are you interested at all in watching something like an animated film from Japan that has no English dubs and you have to read the English subtitles? It all depends. It's kind of it's kind of funny you mention that because one, one of the 
because a lot of times when I watch stuff in net, on Netflix, which is in you know, which is in my bedroom, and a lot of times I'm I'm either a lot of times I'm right I'm I'm writing, you know, I'm working on I have a book I'm working on, so I'm so I'm so I write, and and oftentimes, you know, I'm not watching the screen all the time, so it's, so even even if it's something I haven't watched before, I, my my attention is kind of diverted, so I try to I tr- at least as long as I can hear it, then I feel comfortable. But if it's something like so if I'm if I'm multitasking, then I probably won't watch something that's all. No matter whether it's Japanese, whether it's French, it doesn't matter. If it's something that's in subtitles, almost all in subtitles, then I probably won't bother watching it. I have to be in the right mood because I need to be because that's something you have yeah. to watch the screen all the time, unless you know the language all the time. If it's something so, but I I there are some, but there are there are some movies that you know I I've watched uh, on Netflix that have. That have sub, you know, that have subtitles. It's so. It, it, well, the the reason I ask is, have you watched, or do you have any interest in watching the Godzilla anime that was recently released on Netflix? I did watch that. That one. I did you watch. did. Yes. Okay. So so this is this is like a, a, a similar another yet another similar sort of storyline. For those of you who haven't seen it, and I'm not going to spoil the ending because I was really <laughs> the ending. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> because they, they, they make a point on Netflix of saying, like, this is the first part. Right. So there's more stuff coming, and you're like, oh, man. But for those who haven't seen it, uh, there's an, a Japanese anime uh, or Chinese, whatever, on Netflix, uh, uh, Godzilla. And essentially what it is is Godzilla and company, all the monsters, Rodan, so on and so forth, um, have um, been doing their thing for a while now. And humanity cannot stop them, like, at all. So what they end up doing is they end up leaving the Earth to try and find something else out there for themselves or find a way to defeat them. Well, humanity doesn't find anything else out there, so they have to turn around and go back. Uh, that's their only chance. I mean, it's it's not the best option, but it's the only option, or food is going to run out and we're all going to die. Um, so, so they, they go back and the, the timeline keeps changing, but what do they say? Like 10,000, 20,000, something like something? that. It's a, it's a huge, it's a huge chunk of time. Yeah. A huge chunk of time has passed. So what has happened to the earth in the meantime? And, and, you know, they have ideas and solutions about how to stop Godzilla and, uh, because he's the king of the monsters, you know, there are other monsters, but he's, he's the main reason they had to leave earth. So what do you do? And it's, it's, it's really good. The, the first, the most of the stuff in space, I was kind of like, all right, let's just, let's get through this. I'm not really that interested. It was kind of slow. That part. Yeah. The setup was kind of slow once from this one. Once you got beyond why they were in space to begin with, once you got past like that, that, prologue basically yeah it was slow until they came back to earth yeah but uh this is this i mean i feel like that sort of plot kind of meshes a bit with this you know they have to they have to do find a solution in space (laughs) bring it back down and then you got monsters and and, and the whole thing so but the way that ended that was that was i was going to suggest you watch that if you hadn't but good good thing you watched that (laughs) Yeah, I watched it. <laughs> yeah, Doesn't sound like you liked it. No, I, I, I did. I did actually. It, it was, it was, it was 
kind of it was kind of disappointing that again we have you have to wait until um for, for more it's, it was kind of an interesting setup but yeah I, it was just random I just happened to notice I just happened to notice it was on I was like okay that's kind of interesting and then it's like okay plus but at least it was you know at least it was long it was like a, it was really like a, a actual movie you know so it, mm-hmm. yeah it was it was definitely feature length so I was, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting. So I'll be curious to see where they go with it. You know, exactly what the stuff we're gonna find out when they pick up from where we left off. All right, where do you want to go next? Um, a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, let's let's do that one. Let's do the let's do the Han Solo trailer. Um, All right, I'm gonna play that here on my end, folks. Uh, I am looking at the trailer. On YouTube, as it is from a uh, user film select trailer. So, starting at the zero zero point, and I'll just go ahead and play that here. Sure, I'm at one second, but that's fine. I've been running scams on the street since I was ten. I was kicked out of the flight academy. Was sort of two trailers in one yeah. that was the the, the, extended, the trailer and right? the teaser yeah yeah, the yeah. Extended, that's the one you were watching this this says it's the extended trailer 2018 yeah yeah that's what I, that's what i had to uh you go first on this one um lots of cool visuals i'm still not excited for this movie uh i mean it's a star wars movie i'll go see it i'll go see it relatively close to opening weekend or whatever but uh yeah, it's just I, I'm not really that invested in it. Um, the only thing really drawing me in is Amelia Clark. 
Um, I, I do like the idea. They, they said, you know, kicked out of flight Academy or whatever. Uh, it'd be interesting to sort of see that aspect of the empire, the sort of the recruiting side of things. Um, because, you know, uh, Luke wanted to be, a um, a pilot, right? So it's just like, you know, really the only place he could have gone for that would have been the empire. Right. So it's just like, that side of things would be interesting to see how that all works. Um, how how the Empire appears to... I, I'm sure they'll still come off as evil or whatever in this film, but it'd be interesting if they don't. If they see... If they if it seemed through more of, like, the common man's lens who doesn't give a shit who rules the galaxy as long as they get... You know, their, their lives aren't interfered with, you know... Um, so it'd be interesting to see the Empire from that sort of perspective, if if we get that at all. I mean, you get the a damn Star Destroyer coming through, you know, a, a funnel of lightning and stuff. So it doesn't look like that it's going to be portrayed as anything other than evil. But like, you know, if if we get at least a glimpse of it, that'd be interesting. Um, see Maz Kanata, I guess, in there. Uh, so exploring Rumor, yeah. that really... It's, it's debatable. I mean, some people said, yeah, but then you slow it down and maybe not, but it would, yeah, make, it, it would make sense if they at least have her in, in the movies to tie in it, the relationship. Yeah, if, that, if that's cool, if that is her, then that seeing how he knows her would be interesting. Um, seeing quote-unquote young Chewie and young Han, you know, either meet or just see how they're the beginnings of their friendship or whatever, seeing uh, childish Gambino there just ooze sex off the screen <laughs> as Lando would, it would be interesting. But all of that is just when taken at face value is just extremely, you know, sort of surface. There's nothing in here that's really sucking me in. Yeah, I would say that pretty much sums it up nicely. Uh, it looks fine. I mean, visually it looks fine. I think, yeah, I'm not 100%. I guess Donald Glover will do a good job as Lando. I'm not as, you know, wasn't not as enamored with that casting. Of, oh, it's perfect. But then again, I've never been a, I like Lando for what he was, but I was never a huge, I never saw the overall. I didn't have a lot of emotional ties to Lando. I mean, I know he became a better character in Jedi, and he was, and, but still. Don't get me wrong, I think if you're doing a Han Solo, a young Han Solo movie, quote-unquote, you have to have Lando in there. It'd be kind of stupid not to, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I guess the parts I'm more interested in, interested in obviously, are Chewie and Han. I mean, we, I'm assuming we get to see where, exactly why Chewie has a life life debt to Han. Which would be um, interesting if we see Kashyyyk for the first time since, what, Clone Wars? Probably, yeah. I think they probably showed up in the in the in the in the, in the Clone Wars, uh, but you you may not necessarily even see. I mean, depending you know, if if they're basically being slave traded, then they may depending on where Han is, you may very well just see you know. You take, so it might not it might not actually be the Wookiee homeworld then. Right, they could just be gathered. Yeah. You know, just wherever Han is, you know, the Empire is basically unloading a bunch of Wookies, uh, because depending on you know. Why you know if that is for the catalyst for Han being thrown out of the flight academy for you know what he does as far as freeing Chewie or helping to free Chewie, smuggling out um, smuggling Chewie out or whatever. So I'm interested in the Han and Chewie relationship. 
it's weird as hell to see the Millennium Falcon looking pristine. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it's cool, including but, having an extra part. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's cool. I, especially from an interior perspective, I kind of like the interior being pristine more than the outside. Uh, but that's probably because we're so used to seeing more of the outside. Actually, you know, when you really think about it in great detail, other than the cockpit, you're not used. To, you usually don't see a whole lot of the interior of the Falcon in the original trilogy all that much. It's mostly the cockpit. Other than, you know, the first movie, yeah, you know, New Hope, you saw it a little bit, but... So, I, I, it's intriguing for that reason, and it's smart from a marketing and a toy perspective, because it just gives people an excuse to go out and buy another Millennium Falcon, because this one, this one's pristine. The so-called Kessel Run Millennium Falcon, which I guess is something else we, now, because that toy is called that, we can take it to the bank that we're going to see them do the Kessel Run, and thus, you know, have that legend created in, you know, in the Solo, solo movie. Yes, Amelia Clark to me is the biggest draw. Woody Harrelson is cool too. So, but Amelia Clark for obviously different reasons. I love Amelia Clark, so I, so I'm looking forward to seeing what her role is in this movie. Uh, yeah, the odds are she'll be dead by the end, but the point still is, it's Amelia Clark. So, I, so I, I'm all in on that. No pun intended. I think um, there's something else that just slipped my mind out of that. It, the big the big issue still comes down to that that doesn't look like Han Solo doesn't talk like Han Solo. We also know from from an age perspective that he's that what's his face Alden, whatever his name Ironic whatever his name is that he is more or less knocking on the door of the actual age that Han Solo that I think Harrison Ford was when he first played Han Solo. So playing a character significantly younger. Even though, again, until we see the movie, we don't we, we won't know the full context of the time frame of how old this Han Solo is supposed to be, at least at the end of the movie. It I don't know. I think I think one of the bigger issues with this is that because clearly Last Jedi was divisive, and that regardless of where you f- people fall on the spectrum on that, you know, it's div- it was divisive. That's something that really can't be argued. That certainly kind of put a screech slammed on the brakes to it came. To can help create a screeching halt to the unstoppable wave of Star Wars momentum that had been building from Force Awakens to surprisingly Rogue One, which I think surprised a lot of people. I think Last Jedi kind of like that completely kind of derailed that. And there wasn't a huge, a lot of huge bunch of enthusiasm for this solo, solo movie to start with. And now it kind of like raises the ante even more because if this movie underachieves tanks, and, and and let's say, regardless of the box office, let's just say people don't like it. Let's say it's even more uniform that people don't like this than Last Jedi, where it's, where it's a pretty even split. People, let's say, 30, you know, like a 30-70 split in favor of who likes it versus who doesn't. Um, that's a big that's a big blow. I mean, that's that would be that's a serious shot across the bow to the fran- to the franchise. And then the because the next chance they're going to have to write the ship is going to be what Episode Nine. Which is mm-hmm. really a wild card, since really that's gonna, if Abrams can if Abrams can pull that off and have people react to that movie close to how they reacted to Force Awakens, you got to give him tons of props for that, because thanks to Ryan Johnson, this guy's really got a he he's really you know, going walking uphill both ways here because of what was left and what he has to try to make sense of and come up with a end to the story based on you know what he was what he was handed. I think probably on the bright side, if you want to be optimistic, and plus there, are, you know, there's a, p- a bunch of rumors circulating around 
about this now anyway, but I think it probably increases the odds that the Obi-Wan movie will be the next solo, the next anthology movie, Greenlight. Which, which, which I was going to be bring up because uh, the, the, ne- the up next video for that trailer was a fan-made sort oh, of yeah. Kenobi, and it had 11 million views. Yeah, that, so yeah, that footage. Yeah, that footage was from whatever movie you and McGregor played Jesus in. So it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. So so, you know, if 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 Disney is is not yet sold on the idea of a of a Kenobi movie, um, a fan made bullshit one got 11 million views. <laughs> yeah, that's so, that, that is impressive. That that is that, that's that is impressive and. It, it would really be dumb for them not to – I mean, they they need something that I think at this point, which is a weird thing to say for Star Wars. No, it's not like the franchise is fall, completely falling apart. No one's going to say that. But this – you know, but if, if Han Solo is not a surprise hit, if Solo is not, a Star Wars story is not a surprise hit, then this would have been two major, you know, stumbles back to back. Because despite the critics' love of Last Jedi, clearly the fans did not overall did not react in the same level of did not have the same level of enthusiasm. So if if Solo really doesn't do well after coming on the heels of Last Jedi, yeah, they got some serious momentum to to re- and plus we know and we've talked about this before it just feeds the fire for the, all the people that always want to say oh it's Disney's fault forget about. Lucasfilm's fault. Forget about Kathleen Kennedy's role in approving these scripts and the direction of everything. You know, she's got more power than Kevin Feige does for Marvel Studios. But still, let's all blame, make it seem like, you know, it's the, you know, it's like Don, you know, Don Mickey Mouse, you know, being the godfather of Disney, just like pulling the strings all the time of every single thing they do. Like they have no, they have, like they don't do anything on their own. Now that just feeds that narrative. Oh, it's Disney's fault. Oh, it's Disney's fault. The reality is, going the Obi Wan route would be a natch. First of all, first of all, it's a it's a it's a winner because depending on what story you tell, you could go back to that again because you know he doesn't die, <laughs> and you know there's a huge gap of time from the time he goes into exile on Tatooine that there's plenty of t- stories you could tell with with Obi Wan. So, and it's it's something that people overall would be interested in seeing. The character obviously is extremely pop- popular. Ewan McGregor playing that character was extremely popular. One of the most pr- closest thing to being universally recognized as a huge as a huge positive of the prequels. Though again, I'm not a prequel basher, but for even the people that did bash the prequels, pretty much Ewan McGregor's Obi Wan was one of the things that people at least acknowledged. Yeah, that was good. Now, even if you don't want to say the first, and I agree with to a certain extent, maybe not Phantom Menace Obi-Wan, even though he was a different character then, he was so much younger. It was good to see, in a way it was, it's not the way you probably would have thought Obi-Wan would have been when he was like 25, but that kind of shows you the growth in the character. But seeing Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones, and certainly Revenge of the Sith, you know, Ewan McGregor nailed that. So, that would be per- that would be perfect, and that's the safest thing for them to do. They could do you know, they could go for the friggin' Boba Fett movie, which I don't know why, but they could do that, you know. But I'm hoping that this I'm hoping this at the very least will open the door for the Obi Wan movie to finally get the green light. No, I don't believe the rumor that George Lucas is actually going to direct it, which is you know the rumor that is circulating because he's supposed to be because supposedly he's people he's in a, he was in a certain place, so people assume that he's like you know 
that he's you know uh, scoping out locations and everything, but I don't believe that. That would it'd be that'd be quite an interest. That'd be quite an interesting to see what the reaction would be for people, because this is a this is a rare moment where you know all the crap Lucas took for the prequels. Now kind of the shoe is on the other foot because a lot of because all that crap is with Ryan Johnson, Disney, and to a lesser extent though not she deserves more more of the critique than she's gotten Kathleen Kennedy that that the shoes on their feet because they're the ones that are getting have caught a lot of heat from Last Jedi so it would be interesting if even if he was offered that whether whether Lucas would take it or whether Lucas is quite getting into Lucas's mind would be something I'd be fascinated with just to know how he feels about as how he feels about selling to Disney right now at this moment in time does he regret doing it because they've gone off in a whole different direction than he would have wanted to do? And I'm not talking about the, you know, the, the individual anthology movies. I just mean because they went a different route than how he would have taken the episode seven, eight, nine. Or is he? And along with the first, before I go to the or, and because of the fact that now he completely has lost control over the what of uh, having creative control and being able to say no, and what anything that happens to Star Wars, which he was always the final arbiter. Or is he kind of relieved because now all the crap that he caught because of the prequels, which essentially made him not for a long period of time probably not want to do episode seven, eight, nine, and then maybe over time started to slowly weaken because obviously if he had treatments for seven, eight, nine, uh, he he at least had to weaken at least a little bit, unless he planned on producing them and just hiring other directors. Or is he just quite content with now that all the crap that that being thrown at other people and not him, that maybe and maybe people some people will never appreciate it, but maybe some people who criticize him actually appreciated him a little bit more, at least because there are some things whether it's accurate or not there's some things they probably think that he would not have done such so some of the characters that we've seen done, and like in seven and eight so far, but yeah so that that's about it for me for solo anyway I don't I. Chewy, Han and Chewy is always cool. Mostly it'll be Chewy because in most people's minds, this isn't really going to be Han. <laughs> That's what the problem is. Even with Lando, it's going to be Chewy because he looks like Chewy. But other than that, so I'll see it. But my, I agree with you. My enthusiasm is pretty non-existent. So. <clears throat> All right. Next up, Venom. Otherwise, known uh, as Chat Against the World. That's right. Uh, I'm looking at uh, YouTube movie clips trailers, Venom teaser trailer number one. Okay, I have, um, a, I have a different one. I have one that says official teaser trailer HD, which doesn't um, really matter because how long? How long is your? How long is your thing? No pun intended. One thirty. One thirty-two. Uh, this is one forty-nine. So this. this yeah, because because the teaser has it, it starts off with a couple of brief flashes and clips, yes. and then it goes into the, the trailer. Um, this has gotten rid of those stupid flashes at the beginning. Okay, so it's not a big deal, because I'll be listening to it yeah. through your video anyway, so... Alright, so here we go. Let's see. Ready and go. Got this thing. 
maybe it's a breakup, a death, an accident, whatever it is, you used to be one thing, now you're something else. V is for Venom. <laughs> remember, remember. Oh, I'm sorry, different move. Uh, all, all right, right so, we'll, we'll we'll take the same approach. Go ahead. I, I really we should have really done this. Uh, it's my fault. We should have done this opposite because it would have been more interesting for you to begin on this one. But then again, <laughs> since it's you against the world on the Venom trailer for the most part, maybe maybe it's, maybe this is set up the way it should be. Okay. Uh, now don't shoot the messenger here, Chad. <laughs> I might. <laughs> I know. I I know you you, you. you love him so much. I know it's easy to get defensive. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the trail. This trailer was eh. It this was a, teaser. I know it's a teaser. <laughs> I'm just I throwing that out know, there. <laughs> I I I understand it's a teaser, but but other than the friggin' friggin' symbiote in the friggin' jar, if you took that little bit out of the if you took that one little few second snippet out of the movie, you would have no idea what this movie is about, and this could theoretically be almost any generic action, uh, spy, reprogrammed, secret agent kind of movie, and you'd have no idea what this movie was going to be about. Uh, so, I think on that level, while... I agree with the concept of you don't want to do the Green Lantern thing and have that suit look too shitty to too many people and have people jump off the bandwagon. There was there was there's that danger, but there's also the danger which kind of and then this is not this is probably the safer way to go, mind you, as opposed to going the Green Lantern route and screwing things up and never getting momentum back on track. But there's also a certain amount of danger with not showing anything and having a teaser for for a movie that's all about. You know this this giant black spider-like thing with tongue and teeth and giant eyes, and you don't see any of that. There's also a danger of what's the point of showing what what's the point of giving you a teaser for this movie if it doesn't give you anything, not even literally, not even a tease of what you really want to see, which is Eddie Brock wearing a suit, quote unquote, uh, being having the symbiote on him. The, the symbiote wearing Eddie Brock. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Um, so, I think, and because, while they were trying to, I'm sure they were, the Green Lantern stuff probably was in the back of their minds. You pointed that out. I think that's valid. In the, at the end of the day, even though, like I said, this is probably the better of the two negative reactions because you one good trailer after this showing Venom will erase this teaser trailer. But in the meantime, until that happens, the fan reaction overall to this trailer was not positive. 
the reaction to this trailer for the most part was negative. And and I think that's the danger with doing a trailer like this when you're trying to be so safe and so protective that I kind of I as much as I hate to say it, I think I do fall into the category category of considering the movie doesn't come out till October, they would have been better off waiting another month or so to at least show some to, to do a teaser or do a trailer that at least had some glimpse of Venom him itself, even if it wasn't on Eddie, even if it was just something just like like pooling off the ground and kind of like rising up or something, so you kind of see the face and the tongue or something, just something. And the fact that you, I mean, yeah, you get the thing in the jar, so you, that's the only, like I said, that's the only connective, real connective tissue that makes you realize that, that you know, what it is if you're a comic book fan. going Without knowing, if you just watched it from scratch without the setup, knowing we're watching the Venom trailer, that's the only thing that drives it home. So I think they would have been better served overall waiting another month or so and doing, and having some CGI, even if it was only like a, a five, six second clip. But they can, but they can overcome this. So it's not like it's not as bad a stumble as Green Lantern. But I don't. But that was my initial reaction. So go ahead. Now, now feel free to defend. All right. I need like a finger cracking sound effect <laughs> as I get into oh, this. We, uh, you, you can do this like the old Saturday Night Live sketch after I make this brilliant point and you just come out, Mark, you ignorant slut. No, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> all right. So, um, Mark, you ignorant slut. <laughs> first of all, first of all, I said it already. I interrupted Mark. It's a teaser. It's a teaser. It's a teaser. It's a teaser. I don't know how many times other people who are fans of certain properties or whatever have defended their the a movie that they are excited for or a property that they are excited for upon the release of a teaser. By using said phrase, it's only a teaser. I think all of us are guilty of it at some point. So, that being said, the other thing I think is very, very, very important. If you Google Venom Filming Ends, you will see a bunch of articles that pop up from January 28th, 29th. So, the very end of January. When did this teaser come out? February 8th. If you out there think that's enough time to get a really awesome CGI Venom that just impresses the hell out of everybody on screen, even if only for a few seconds, because you know people out there are going to watch the HD trailer, pause, screenshot, enhance, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be everywhere. If you think it's even even for those few seconds that that's enough time to build a CGI suit like Venom that passes public scrutiny even for a few seconds, go apply to Sony right now. <laughs> because clearly you have some magic that nobody else in the industry does. Um, <laughs> another thing I think is, is cool, I think Eddie sounds awesome. I didn't, I've never, uh, you know, there are uh, multiple different boroughs and accents and stuff like that you get from New York or whatever, but I've never thought about what Eddie Brock sounds like in terms of which borough accent or, or whatever. When I heard his voice, Tom Hardy's accent in this, in this uh, trailer, it immediately sounded like Eddie Brock to me. Uh, I don't know what San Francisco has to do with it. Cause you see the golden gate bridge in there, but you know, whatever. Um, 
we'll see. Maybe there's a change of setting or whatever, but I kind of feel like it's got to be New York, right? I mean, there's got to be some New York settings. Um, the you do see Venom in terms of symbiote. You see him in the in a canister in the back of a truck, as Mark mentioned. Uh, there's actually two canisters in that truck, uh, and that sort of supports the rumor that supposedly Carnage is supposed to be a part of this. Um, so we'll see. Um, uh, he says in the trailer the thing about um, we all have you know things in our life, and he says whether it's a breakup, and it focuses on this woman um, who is uh, I looked at the actress's name because I don't you know I don't know the names of of people. Um, but uh, that is Michelle Williams. Yep. She's playing Anne Weying, and that is Eddie Brock's ex-wife, uh, who, it's, I doubt it's going to happen in this, but um, at one point in the comics, the Venom symbiote is attached to her, and she is She-Venom. Um, you know, she kills a couple of people or whatever, and then later on, that sort of experience drives her nuts and she kills herself by jumping uh, out of an apartment window. Um, but, um, so that, you know, some of that stuff is cool to see. Um, uh, Mark mentioned what I said about green lantern. What he's referring to is a Facebook post I made, you know, kind of going over this. And basically what I compared this to is when the very first teaser footage, um, trailer released for Green Lantern. Was it WonderCon? Uh, I don't... No, I don't... I'm trying to remember if it came out for WonderCon or not. I'm not sure, I don't think so. I thought it... Because it came... Because I know it, it came out in the... It came out in the fall, I think, when the first part of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows came out. So, when that trailer... The very first images, uh, you know, uh, footage we saw from that movie came out, the entire world exploded about how shitty the CGI looked, uh, how unfinished everything looked. And I think they did right by not showing something they weren't ready to show because they just finished filming less than two weeks ago. Um, so I think they did great on that. Um, as for seeing the Venom symbiote on Eddie, making you want to go see the movie, if it looked like shit you were going to write this movie off. If it looked fantastic, your ticket was sold. Why? Because it's a Venom symbiote, it's tied to Marvel, it's cool, it's creepy, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I understand that. However, it's too much of a gamble if you're not ready for it yet. So I think this this trailer, this teaser, did a fantastic job at making me care about the rest of the movie. <laughs> because primarily, I wanted to see this movie because of Venom. You know, I'm a big fan of the character, the symbiote, all this other stuff. I want to see how it looks on screen. That part of it is sold for me. The rest of it, I don't know what the story is. And yes, it's a teaser. They don't really tell you much. So it doesn't matter. You're watching this. You don't, don't know much, what, what much of the story is. But you see these other characters, scenes, settings. And that part of it, without seeing the symbiote, looks interesting to me. So they made me want to see it on a level beyond cool alien costume. So I think it works for me. Being, to be fair, though, not saying you're wrong, being fair, 
you, you're, you're an easy mark for this because you want to like it and you want to see the movie and you really want to you want to see it you want it to be good you you want it to succeed anyway so you're more you're going to be more prone to be glass half full no matter I'm not saying you wouldn't say if it, if it absolutely sucked I'm not saying oh if it sucks I'll tell I'll tell the world it sucks but but it's not, it doesn't have to it doesn't have to warm to, to warm the cockles of your heart it doesn't really take a whole lot of of much of a flame because <laughs> they're already halfway there. Uh, now, so I and again, I like I said, I agree, I agree with you about about the CGI. I I do think, however, yes, we know that the filming just the uh, principal photography just ended. Or actually, to be fair, to be fair, the first thing they announced was Tom Hardy's filming was done before they actually announced that the movie itself was done most of the scuttlebutt at least was that Tom Hardy had finished all of his scenes that all being said whether it was just Hardy that was done at that point or the whole movie was done or now the whole movie's done even if it wasn't then the reality is that just means that that's that was the final footage but there's obviously there was footage that's been filmed for for a while now so it's not like playing devil's yeah, advocate they, they, they started filming in October right so it's not like they didn't have a scene or two where they could have been working on literally since 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 that day since after the daily since that film was in the can and they were they could have been, they there wasn't like they couldn't have had a five or six second snippet that they could have been working on for the last three or four months to try to do C, to get the CGI on it. But again, it's I know what you're saying. It's I just think. I see your point of view, but I also see the point of view of the people that were disappointed because the one thing you want to see in a Venom trailer is seeing is seeing Venom, you know. So it's kind of like, so it's kind of like seeing a Spider-Man trailer without seeing Spider-Man, it's kinda, or seeing. So it's that that's the part where I think the criticism, the criticism is fair. Uh, it would. You know, it's it's different if you're trying. You know, it, it would be different if you're trying to go like the Indominus Rex route, and you're trying to hide. You know, you have this mystery, you have this mystery creature, this mystery monster, and you're trying to hide it on purpose. Uh, that would be different, but that's not what you're really trying to do. The the selling point of the movie really is is this character and what it looks like. So we'll see. I mean, like I said, the, the, to me, the the good news about this is. That once they release the first full trailer, and that they, they, they have the CGI in that, and people like the CGI, people are going to friggin' forget about this teaser trailer, and it's going to be nothing. So, I don't, I think it's certainly, it's not it's not a momentum builder, it may not be a serious momentum killer, but, you know, it certainly, it didn't do them any favors, let's put it this way. This trailer did not help their cause, it may just may not have really hurt it all that much. So the next, the real key for this movie is the next trailer has to be good. The first full trailer has to be good, and they have to have CGI in it, and the CGI has to be good. And if because if you get another trailer where they're going out of their way to hide Venom, I mean, again, it, you can play a little coy and not give us a 100% full view of Venom, at least not now in the first trailer. But you got to give something, and if you don't, at least give the face. At least give the face. Um, and if they don't, then I think then then you're going to have this at least whether it's accurate or not. The in the court of public opinion, people are going to accept as part of the narrative that oh, the, you know this movie's not going to be good. They're you know they're hiding Venom on purpose because they know he's not going to look good. Stuff like that. So you, there there is a there is a potential 
negative to playing it safe, but I don't think they'll do that next time. I think even if they wanted to, I think this will kind of get them back on track, realizing much like the way Green Lantern kind of scared Warner Brothers into being friggin' scared so we didn't get to see any more Green Lantern footage for like like four months or something after that first trailer came out. Uh, I think we see another Venom trailer in front of uh, Infinity War. I say that would be probably a safe bet. Um, just like some people think, well, we're going to see another, it makes sense to see another Ant-Man trailer by, by Infinity War. Um, all the things that you would naturally think. I mean, they haven't committed to anything for for Aquaman yet either, but you would think Aquaman, it wouldn't be a bad bet to have that teaser at least, at least coming out sometime in May, even if it's not in ready for Infinity War. Uh, well, as the movie guy, I got to ask you this. This is a question I just thought of. Do you think Sony pulls a uh, Marvel and w- the way they uh, did uh, Age of Ultron? You mean? And go, by that, go by that, up, I go, mean go ahead. To the the very last like official trailer that's released kind of blows the load before you can see the movie and shows you Vision. Do you think they're going to do the same thing with Venom and say, "Oh yeah, here's a shot of"? Tom Hardy's connection to the movie, or, I mean, not Tom Hardy, uh, Tom Holland. Oh, um, but not, you don't mean, so you, you're asking this generally speaking, or, or just about Spider-Man? I mean, it, it well, it, 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 generally speaking, it could be Carnage, it could be, uh, it could be, um, uh, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, it could be, you know, any number of things, uh, related to the Venomverse, but something, because Carnage has been rumored. Tom Holland is supposed to be in this yes. movie in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so do you think they, you know, like the same way Marvel did with Age of Ultron, blew the load us, with... Show us too much. Do, do I think they're going to show us too much, essentially? Yeah. In general? I don't think so. I I think, and this, and again, being being the magic word I always try to be, being fair, I think that could have been why Sony took this approach. Despite the negative, you know, the negative reaction, and they may, and to be fair, they may have said we still want to take this approach because it, logically they they had to have expected a negative reaction to a Venom trailer without Venom in it. I mean, it's, it's common sense. It'd be like tr- it'd be like trying to do a James Bond trailer and not show James Bond. I mean, so you have to you have to understand. So I don't think they're stupid enough to think to not to have not anticipated this response. They may have chosen to do this knowing that we're. It's like we'll take this stumble out of the block because we know we're going to show stuff and we have a we have a plan and we're going to stick to it. I think I don't think they'll show too much. I think I think people have learned a little bit from that. Though we have to keep our we have to keep our eyes peeled to see how much Disney or Marvel, but specifically, I, I, let me take that back. I don't want to be like everybody else. Marvel to see if Marvel has learned as much. Because you know there are, there are some rumors that we're going to see have another friggin' Infinity War trailer coming out before the movie comes out, which is friggin' stupid. We don't need to see any. We don't need to see any another trailer. I think for that movie, if you want to release a little bit more footage, maybe. Uh, but I don't know. I don't. I know we technically speaking of what got we got we got one teaser, right? We got one teaser and one one full trailer. Uh, and the Super Bowl spot. So. I think so. It's a fine line in general. If I'm looking at, um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going off topic. I'm just thinking of it from in the context of Infinity War. Because yes, Ultron, they, they, and this is is interesting. 
because you relate that to Bla- you know to Black Panther because Black Panther they were on the verge I think of going a little too crazy with showing stuff but they didn't I think they kept a lot of stuff under wraps with Black Panther related to the story and with the character different parts of the character and everything else but we know Ultron absolutely went off the rails and we talked about it we talked about it even before the movie opened that not just related to the vision that they just kept releasing stuff and releasing stuff it's like they didn't need to you know you you, you were having a sequel to one of the most popular movies of all time and when and, and your sequel was one of the most anticipated movies of all time you don't need to show us anymore people know the movie's coming out you don't need to keep showing stuff and I absolutely believe and I think they do too because you heard about it after the fact that that kind of marketing that you know ended up hurting that movie which is probably the reason why it didn't beat the original Avengers its opening weekend and didn't come close actually it was like 10 million like over 10 million dollars less uh, so I don't think I don't think they'll do that I think we'll see Venom I don't know if we'll get a shit ton of Venom and if we do get a shit ton of Venom I don't think we're going to get more than just a hint or an implication of Carnage, if Carnage is in the movie, that I don't think we're, we're not going to see him full bore. I think they'll keep that as a reserve. And mm-hmm. and with Tom Holland, if you see Tom, it would make perfect sense to have Tom Holland in one of the trailers for like a second or two, or, you know, at least have his voice in the trailer. And then maybe like Shadow or have him like you know kind of like doing what they did with really well with the, you know with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man with having him upside down, you know coming down with the web, being upside down, coming straight down with his head facing the seat of the floor, uh, one of the classic Spider doing something. Uh, but I don't think. But see the thing is, the thing they may depending how little he's in the movie, it, it may not hurt them if they show it because they, that might just entice people more to see it because they think he's going to have a bigger role than he actually does. So it might put asses in the seats. So it might not be, be a bad thing to show him. That it, it, even if it's that, even if the, it's two or three seconds of a scene that maybe lasts not even a minute in the actual movie, but it, that wouldn't. I don't necessarily think that would be a, a bad thing. But I would, if I had to bet, I would bet we'll see. We would see Tom Holland more than we would see like full-on Carnage. Again, working under the assumption Carnage is actually in the movie. And one other aspect to bring up and related to this, just because you know you and Jim do the. The toy thing. Uh, they've oh, yes. already started talking about toys for the movie, which they're not necessarily f- from the movie, but for the movie, <laughs> I guess. Um, you've seen some toys of Venom, uh, which was, has a swappable head, so you can put just uh, Eddie Brock's face on there. I told you, both you and Jim have, have separately showed me these images at different points, and I don't like that Venom figure. Something is wrong either with the size of his head or the elongation of his neck or something. It just throws it off for me. Um, there's a Carnage figure, which uh, shows Cletus Cassidy's face. You can you know, take Carnage's head off and put Cletus's on there. Um, that looks better. I was already sold on the Carnage by itself. Um, the same way I don't take my uh, Brightest Day Dead Man figure and put the Boston brand face on there, I doubt I'll be putting the Cletus face on Carnage. Um, they have a um, was it was it to- that's not Toxin? What was her name? Why well, am Scream? Scream, uh, which is like the female yellowish Venom symbiote. They had her. Uh, they have Poison. 
uh, one of the poisons, which is actually from a recent storyline uh, that I was reading called Venomverse, um, which is continuing over into X-Men Blue right now um, and crossing over with Venom and will be its own thing, its own series pretty soon. Um, they're going to continue that storyline the way it left off from Venomverse. And then they have a Spider-Ham um, figure uh, with uh, a kind of a Venom symbiote version of his head as well. So, um, And then there's a Venom, Venom and Carnage 2-pack, which are different figures than the Venom and Carnage individual figures that I just talked about. So. Yeah, they look interesting. Some of them look interesting. I agree with you. Some of the head sculpts kind of look weird. Um, just size-wise, configuration-wise, just kind of... Not, it's not like it necessarily looks inaccurate. It's just... It does look odd. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, they, they've already started sort of... They haven't marketed them, but they have released the images for those toys. So, that's another interesting thing, is this is a Venom movie. It's a Venom Marvel movie, Sony movie, but it's a Venom movie. But they do have toys, not from the movie, but associated with characters that may or may not appear in the movie uh, and are banking on the movie to sell those toys. So what? how dark is slash can this movie be? <laughs> Oh, we're going to find out real soon. Yeah. So, that's just one thing to bring up. But, yeah. All right. Anything else? Um, I was yeah. going to bring up the thing I sent you yesterday. Refresh my memory. To tell people to pick up that issue. Oh, the Wonder Woman thing? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, so, yesterday, DC Solicits came out. Uh, for May, and uh, there is a Wonder Woman annual coming out on May 30th, 48 pages, full color, $5 for the issue. Wonder Woman annual number two, written by James Robinson. The story is called Starlight, and the plot, an enormous divine threat has the star sapphires in its sights, and only Wonder Woman can protect them. She's wielded their ring before, but the core has changed since then. Is even their combined power enough to stop a god? That was interesting to me, because one of the things we've been saying, okay, now that we've figured out the mystery of the Templar Guardians, where's the Indigo Tribe and where's the star sapphires? Boom, we get a Star Sapphire story. But DC's like, they're like playing with us like we're cats, you know? They're like, uh, here's the toy. Ah, uh, no, we're going to yank it back. <laughs> they're like, here's the toy. Ah, uh, Star Sapphire story. Oh, written by James Robinson. <laughs> and let's bury it in a book that, A, Green Lantern fans would never even think about, it, and, and a lot of comic book fans wouldn't even know existed. <laughs> It's interesting too because there's a uh, there's another um, story there's another annual coming out that month which is a Green Lanterns annual. Yeah, I saw that today. 
And that one, remind me, who's is, who's it written by? Oh, that, that I'm it, not going to remember. I'm pretty sure it's Andy Lanning? No, that's not right. Hold on, let's see if I can find Andy it. Diggle. Yes, Diggle, that is correct. I... Uh, it comes out the same day as the Wonder Woman annual. But this one is it sounds like absolutely a one-shot. Uh, I'm, just because I mentioned it, I already gave you the creative, and when it comes out, I might as well read it. It says, uh, Every thousand years, a ceremony is held on a long-forgotten world to celebrate the life of an ancient Green Lantern hero. Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz are chosen to represent Earth at this event, but they quickly learn not all is as it seems. A secret has been buried on this planet, and it's up to our heroes to find it and put the mystery to rest once and for all. That's interesting, because both of these stories feel like one-shots. They're not written by the standard creative team. Um, they're, they're, it's in an annual. Like, and the, the synopsis for the stories feels like a one-shot, which is finally what I think what they, they should have been doing all along with annuals, instead of just using them as an extra issue or some springboard to start a new story arc or end the story arc. Yeah, it definitely seems it's kind of like more. Well, we it's it, it's hard to, to to read into it and to assume it's going to be a trend, but it just seems like at least for now the this approach does seem to be opening the door, hearkening back to the yes, let's have the annual kind of be in a world of its own, a self-contained story, not not a continuation of this, not a kickoff to a new arc, not a you know because Lord knows we saw a lot of that you know even with the. Uh, even in the Jeff John stuff, we saw a lot of that with the Third Army and and things like that. Uh, so yeah, yeah. it's uh, it'll, it it'll be interesting. But I, I think the the the, ne- the negative to that is if you're looking at if you're looking at a book. Oh, speaking of which, let's see if I let's see if I actually have that. Um, well, while we're on the subject, uh, I'm definitely reading it. Are you? So are we going to cover that Wonder Woman annual on the show? Yeah, I say we cover it. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, just to let people know in case they they you know pre-order stuff through like DCBS or something. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about let's say how we're gonna cover it. Let's just say let's let's just leave it at that for now. But we'll we'll end up covering it at some point. Uh, so we will cover it, guys. Just we don't know how. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, that's more being cryptic for you and I than for them. I mean, <laughs> but uh, one one other one thing I did. I did send myself was uh, looking at the sale. This is what I started to say, and I just jogged my memory. That the danger of doing the one of doing one shot annuals that aren't related to anything, though, is that when you have a book which is not selling particularly well, which I think Green Lanterns can qualify as, that's the danger of doing a self-contained one-off story. Is because there really is not a huge. There certainly is no moment. There is no reason to invite anybody else to draw new people in to read the book. Um, it's if they had, you know, if they at least like with Wonder Woman, they're Wonder Woman, they're tying in some stuff to Green Lantern mythos, so maybe you get some Green Lantern fans picking up, picking up the book. Just having a standalone annual like that without any guest stars, it's it's again, you know, it would be better served if you're trying to get if you're trying to pick up some sales, maybe. And plus, because it's an annual, so it's what it's it's same price as the Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, that's more that's more money too for a book that's not selling well at its normal price. But it's forty it's forty eight pages, so yeah, it's also double size. I know, but still, I mean, <clears throat> I, 
saying, but 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 still, I know, I know, but still, but th- that just jogged my jogged my memory of looking at how looking at how the sales of both these Green Lantern books continues to go straight into the toilet. Um, looking at Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps number thirty-seven. Let's see. I think it was 71. It placed 71, which ain't great. Sold 28,655. I assume that's copies. And then for Green Lanterns, Green Lanterns 39 sold 25,551. It was number 86. So, you know, Green, Lan- Green Lanterns especially, because Green Lanterns had a bigger fall because Green Lanterns actually was selling better for whatever reason. Green Lanterns, probably because Johns probably was attached to it or and the, maybe the newness of it. Because it was an easy book to jump on to, maybe that you went from Green Lanterns that started, you know, with the Rebirth special at, ni- at almost a hundred thousand, you know, units, to by the time you get, that was, so that was the Rebirth, num- the Rebirth number one. By the time you got to Green Lanterns thirteen, you're already down to forty-one thousand, and now you're down to twenty-five thousand. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be long before uh, they're going to be like from issue four. I mean, just from issue like 14 to like 44, you could you could be down like another. The sales could be cut in half, so you have to think you have to think something's going to be done soon with this. Even if it's just yeah. going to once a month, you can't think they're going to keep double publishing all these books for that for that much longer when the sales just continue. I mean, even Hal in the I mean, even Hal in the core. I mean, Hal in the core is down into the high 20 20 the high 20s now, and that you know so. It's been a slower decline for them. You know, that book has been... The book's only... Let's see. Hal Jordan in the core, number 10, was sold a little over 41,000. And Hal Jordan in the core... Even up to 27, it was still selling 31,000. So, that was... So, it's been a much slower decline, I think. But you have to think something's got to be done soon. Because these books are certainly trending in the wrong direction. Well, they can just pull a Marvel and reboot. <laughs> but that's a story for another oh, time. Oh <laughs> God! Like, 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 like I said on, on one of the, on, I think it was Dan's post, but I was responding to Jim's comment that when it, when it comes to comic, Marvel, Marvel's comic books are the equivalent of what DC's movies are. <laughs> It's like DC's movies can't do can barely do anything right and mostly shoot themselves in the foot. While Marvel's movies can't miss, and the opposite is true right now in comics. Marvel doesn't know what the fuck they're doing, and they oh we're gonna go back to the legacy numbering because we're gonna re you know re embrace our roots and we're gonna have all these stupid variant covers which were always stupid because they had nothing to do with the original covers at all, not even using this you know same characters. And now they're going to go back to seemingly go, the plan is to go back to all friggin' number ones, or maybe we're going to do both. We're going to have new number ones, and somewhere on the cover we're still going to have the legacy numbering too. And I wish they'd do that like they did with Action Comics back in like the nineties and shit. Remember that? You mean when they had the part? When they had the part? Oh, the 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 issue number for the year. Yeah, you'd have the issue number, but then you'd see it was like Action Comics like five hundred and whatever, you know. Uh, what's it? What? No, there there was a point where it showed both. Because I'm trying to I'm trying to remember when I read it. Because again, I I didn't read it regularly. Well, I, I read it sporadically after the Reign of the Superman wrapped up. I did read Action Comics for a while afterwards. 
And obviously, I know, I know that obviously we know the Adventures of Superman was still using original numbering back then because, um, because of the fact that they were in like the five hundred, I think they were in the five hundreds or something. I think somewhere, I think it was in the five hundreds during the reign of the Superman. But yeah, I, I, what I remember from that era was when they, like in the in the S Shield or whatever, they would have the num which number Booker was of the year or what number which which whichever like week or. Like which book? Since the books were alternating, it was like, so like I think Steel, A Man of Steel, might be thirty, thirty-seven, and the book that came out the next week would have a thirty-eight, on in there too. Besides the regular number or whatever the issue was, but I think I, I do know. I mean, I like. I think it's more. I, I always thought it was moronic when you have books that have been around so long, to go back and keep and just forget about the, that great numbering. There's something that's to be said about picking up, like. Like Action four, Comics one thousand. Yes, four five hundred. <laughs> I remember when I remember I remember again showing my age. I remember when a lot of the key Marvel books were hitting hitting like their two hundred issues. Oh. I, well, I have, like I've got I've got framed on the wall right here, Uncanny X Men number three fifty, and it's like it says Marvel Comics, and it's like three hundred fiftieth issue, spectacular Gambit's greatest secret revealed, and it's just like I mean that's a celebratory. They, they got a <laughs> they got a fold-out hollow cover, like, you know, hollow foil cover, and, they, I mean, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, though, and, 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 and it meant something. I, I mean, I have Amazing Spider-Man 200, which, you know, which friggin' brought the burglar back that killed Uncle Ben, and, and that's in that storyline. I had Fantastic Four 200, which, which the, a big, a big, the wrap-up of this big Doctor Doom arc, and it had, it had Reed and Doctor Doom squaring off one-on-one. It's kind of funny. Hulk 200, Incredible Hulk 200, was like a regular size issue, though. But I, but I remember Hulk 300 when he was completely savage, and Spider-Man 300, which I think had Venom in it. All these things. I, so, yeah, it's like, why do you piss away your like, literally your, your legacy? That's the appropriate term. It is your, it is your legacy. There is something cool about picking up a book, picking up a comic that's, you know, that like Detective Comics, like 700, you know, 791. It's like that it just tells you how long that book's been around. Like let's just. And the gimmick of reboot. I mean, how many fucking number ones do you need? I mean, do you need 17 volumes of of Spider-Man or, or X-Men or or Avengers because you have to have a brand new shiny number one? Which yeah, people will buy it. People will still buy a number one issue more than they will a number two issue, even though we know it's not like it used to be because we know as an investment from an investment perspective, it means there isn't any value in it anymore. But fans of, of interest from a jumping on point would, will be more likely to, to buy a number one. But you know, it's that that importance just dissipates real quickly. So I just I just don't get it. And it makes more and it makes Marvel look completely stupid because it was it was only like last year they were pushing Legacy and going back to the original numbering, and now here they are about to completely reboot everything to number one again. Seeming. Yeah. So. All right. You want to tell people how they can reach out to us? I suppose if I have to. Uh, LanternCast.com is our website. That's where all our, all our latest info gets published. A lot on Facebook, too, but our, web, our website is the main place to go to. LanternCast at gmail.com, best place to reach us. Uh, we are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Uh, use hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those, both of those. iTunes and Stitcher, we are on both. So please leave us a positive review on whichever platform you listen to us on. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. We haven't gotten a voicemail in a while. We have a few. We do have a few 
listener feedback things. We need to maybe next issue we'll take care of those. But if you want to leave us a voicemail about anything we talked about regarding this issue, I mean this episode regarding Venom, Solo, Cloverfield, anything else, even the Doctor DC stuff, just feel free to leave us seven away lantern and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody.